Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It is impossible to please God without faith. So if you seek to live a life that doesn't require any faith, you can't please God. Everybody here wants to please God. I just All that he did for us, I want to please him. I want my life to at least say, Lord, thank you. I'm, I love you. I'm, I appreciate it. God says, my love language, faith. Faith and obedience. You trust me and obey me, that is my love language. So if you want to love on the Lord, obey him. Trust him. Do you want an easy life? You know, the kind of life without anxiety or uncertainty. Do you want to please God? Pastor Bill teaches us today that we will not please God if our life does not require any faith. Having faith requires some amount of anxiety and uncertainty. God builds faith in our lives by asking us to trust Him when we can't see the outcome. Pleasing God requires us to deal with uncertainty. Let's overcome uncertainty by placing our trust in what God says. He is pleased when we do. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Judges chapter 1 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. I read someone else on this and I just thought it was really great, the analogy that they gave. It says, um, look at verse 14, it says, when, when she came, she urged him to ask her father for a field. Now, this is just in a way of analogy. I don't think this is what this verse is saying, but it's a great analogy. In the New Testament, you know, we're told that the fields are what? What do the fields represent? The fields are white for the harvest. The fields represent the world. She asked her father for a field. She got that. And he asked her whatever she wishes. And now she comes back and she says, give me a blessing since you have given me land. Since I got a field already now, I'm in the field. What did God tell them once they were in the field for harvest? What did he tell them? What do you need before you go out into this thing? What did he tell the disciples? What did they need? They need the Holy Spirit. So this is just in the way of analogy. She said, give me springs. And something Jesus said is that, hey, when he comes into our life, that there'll be springs of living water coming from out of our lives. And so she said, give us springs and, and springs is plural, not just one. The analogy there was, you know, we get multiple experience with the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. That's first. But then what does he do after that? He comes upon you and empowers you for service. And again, I don't think that that's what this is saying. But I thought it was a great analogy as I, as I was reading it. So I, I thought I would share it with us tonight. Um, she said, give me springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Uh, he gave her what she asked for. The last thing that he pointed out in the analogy went with regards to the Holy Spirit. This is from John Corson. He said, you know, God said, if any man asks, if any man ask him, God will give it to you. She asked and God said, her dad said, here, you can have it. So this daughter asked for these things. God blessed her with them. She's got an awesome husband now. She's got land. She's got an area with springs. Caleb is kind of the pause in the midst of all this failure. Caleb is the anomaly here. Caleb is the one who he's not like everybody else. Caleb did trust the Lord. Caleb did believe the Lord. And it looks like his daughter has, you know, acquired some of that from him. And now she hopefully this man is going to continue to live that way. Now look at verse 16. It says, now the children of the Kenite, Moses, father-in-law, went up from the city of Palms with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad. And they went and dwelt among the people. Verse 17, it says, and, and Judah went with his brother Simeon, and they attacked the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath and utterly destroyed it. In verse 16, the Kenites continued to dwell with the children of Israel, even though they were never really 
converted. They never really turned over. And so there's still that mixture of people living together that are not all on the same page here. And so uh, verse 17, they're moving forward. It says the name of the city was called Hormah, verse 18. And also Judah took Gaza with this territory, Ashkelon with its territory, Ekron with its territory. And then verse 19 says, so the Lord was with Judah and they drove out the mountaineers. And it says, but, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. I want you to pause there for just a moment. So they drove out everybody else. And this is what you're going to learn here. As much as they were willing to take on, God gave them. And even though it says here they could not, it would better read they would not. Now, it says they couldn't move them out in the lowland because they had chariots of iron. I would point to the story of Asa. Uh, for you guys that are not familiar, you can go back and read it later in 2 Chronicles 14, verses 8 through 12. In 2 Chronicles 14, there's a king named Asa. The Bible says that this is it's a man of faith. He's, he takes over. He starts cleaning the house. He gets things right. And the, he has 580,000 people that are his soldiers. An army of a million men with 300 chariots came against him. Now, all he had was foot soldiers. So army, an army with almost twice as many people plus 300 chariots, you're outdone. And Asa doesn't look at them and say, oh, man, we can't do it. Asa looked at them and then Asa looked to the Lord and said, Lord, there's nothing for you, rather with many or with few. And it says, and the Lord slew the Ethiopians before them. Asa didn't stop. He didn't say, no, we can't do it because look, they got chariots. That's it. I'm not going to go. He looked at the chariots. He said, that's a lot. That's a lot of people. Almost twice what we got. Lord, nothing for you. And the Lord did it. These guys don't look to the Lord. They look at the people and they say, yeah, they got chariots. We ain't even going to try. It, and I, I want you to know that it wasn't that they... It wasn't that they could not. It was that they would not. Had they gone, God would have gave it to them. Had they moved forward to fight, God would have given it to them. But they wouldn't go fight because these people had chariots. Um, if you're writing notes, write down Joshua chapter 17, verses 16 through 18. I'm going to read it to us real quick. Joshua 17, verses 16 through 18 says this. But the children of Joseph said, the mountain is not enough for us. All the Canaanites who dwell in the land in the valley have chariots of iron. Both those who are of Bethshean and his towns and those who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph to Ephraim and Manasseh saying, you are a great people and have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down to, and as far as this extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots. So God said, you shall drive them out, even though they have chariots and are strong, but they wouldn't go. And so that should, to me, that speaks to us of if there are scenarios or situations where I doubt or I don't believe. I'm, I'm looking at a situation and I'm saying, God, this, that's too much. I can't. And I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to take a step. I'm not going to move forward. That would be okay if God hadn't said do it. If God's told you to do something, you can't be crunching numbers. You can't be trying to add it up and try to make it work. Because many times the things that God calls us to do, it, he, God puts us in situations that don't, they don't work out so that we'll, we'll be forced to just trust him. If you're looking for it to always work out, if, you're that, if you want to have that much control over your life, you can't be it. You can't walk with God. You can't be a man or woman of faith. You can't, you can't live the spirit-filled life if you have to have that much control. So often, God is going to say, I want you to do this. 
but I can't do that. I know you can't do it. That's why I told you. I'm going to enable you to do it supernaturally. And so when it's done, you're going to know it was me and not you. I want you to do that. But we don't have enough for that. I know you don't have enough, but I have enough. I'm enough. And so just go in obedience to my word. I'll show up step by step. It'll happen because I said go. That's so uncomfortable. Anybody that's living like that way, it's uncomfortable. But it's, awesome. it's always awesome afterwards. So if you, if you live the life of faith, you, you have moments where you're broken and you're on your face. You're like, God, ooh, you know, but it's always awesome after. It's never awesome before. That's the truth. Every step of faith I've ever taken was not awesome before. And I'm not going to sit here and say like, no, I, was, I just believe God the whole time. Sometimes just keep stepping. My mouth is not saying belief. My mind is not saying belief, but my feet are saying belief. And that's all God cares about. Just go anyway. God doesn't care what anxiety I'm overcoming as I go. As long as you just get going, just keep going. Something I used to do, um, I used to work with kids at Calvary Chapel Downey. They had a little summer program for the little kids. And I've always had a heart for the little bad kids. Um, for, <laughs> I like them, you know, they, were, they remind me of someone. So um, we would go, you know, we would go on the outings for the summer trips. I would get the group of kids that were told, you know, you weren't going to get to go. You messed up. You weren't going to get to go. Or that, that, I got that group of kids. I got the group of kids that smacked someone on the bus and now they need to sit. And I'm like, that's my group. And this is the rule of my group. There was this old lady named Miriam. She was the first aide. She would always be parked somewhere under the shade with an umbrella. She had a cooler with cold waters and first aid for any injured people. And so if you really messed up with me, you were going to sit with Miriam for the rest of the day. Nobody wanted to do that. So I said, here's the deal with my group, right? I said, my group rides everything. So we went to a, a water slide park. There was the biggest one that all the kids saw from the bus. And there were kids that were like, I still have tall. I'm like, that's the first one we're going to do. And I had kids that were like, I don't want to go. They're crying. I'm like, look, here's a rule of my group. If you don't go, you go sit with Miriam. And I had, kids, I had a kid cry all the way up. And some people have thought, that's wrong. But I'm telling you this. After doing it one time, one time, all the fear was gone. And they would brag all the way home. I wrote that. I wrote that. I did this. You know, they were, they were so proud afterwards that they overcame it. But they were kind of, you know, you shoved them into it. You, you know, you kind of made, I didn't touch them, but I kind of mentally made them do it, you know. But I never had a kid that did it. And afterward was like, afterwards, I want to do it again. You know, like they, now that I've overcome, like I'm, you made little overcomers of these kids. That's kind of what it is like for us. Every time you overcome in faith, every time you get to the other side and you see God show up, it just makes the next time maybe still challenging. But I just trust it'll work out. So I keep going anyway. I just my, there's a track record with the Lord that says it's always awesome afterwards. And so I got to get to afterwards. And so I'm gonna just put my head down and just bust through until we get to afterwards. And I would just encourage you guys in the areas we're all called to walk lives of faith. And God's speaking to all of us in different ways. They're the things that God is speaking to me in my life about. There are things that God's saying, I want you to build you. I want you to walk in faith like this. It might be totally different for you. But you know what? The Bible says in Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It is impossible to please God without faith. So if you seek to live a life that doesn't require any faith, you can't please God. Everybody here wants to please God. Just all that he did for us. I want to please him. I want my life to at least say, Lord, thank you. I love you. I appreciate it. God says, my love language, faith, faith and obedience. You trust me and obey me. That is my love language. So if you want to love on the Lord, obey him. Trust him. Amen. All right. So moving on. Look at verse 
20. It says, and they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had said. Then they expelled from there the three sons of Anak. So again, every time we see Caleb's name, he's doing what faith does. He's casting out giants. The sons of Anak were the giants. He kicks them out. Verse 21, it says, but the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Now, it's not to today. They dwelt there until the time of David in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. When David shows up on the scene, David puts them to flight. He puts them out of there. The tribe of Benjamin didn't put them out. They dwelt among them until that time. And so, again, we'll see the pattern as we go through the rest of this chapter is we're going to see that they just didn't get it done. You know, the, the Benjamites, who was a, a strong warrior tribe, but they didn't put this group out. They let them hang out. And that group hung out until somebody who would trust God did it. What did David have that the tribe of Benjamin didn't have? Faith that God would do it and obedience to move forward until it was done. That's it. There's no real difference. God is no respecter of persons. The Bible says God won't move more mightily through anybody in here than another person. It's a matter of how much will you trust the Lord? How much will you obey the Lord? How much will you believe that the Lord for God's no God doesn't have a favorite kid in this room. He loves us all equally. He's made available to us his resources equally. And to those of us that will take hold of him in obedience and faith, we'll experience him in a greater way. And so David took hold of it in a greater way than they did. And he experienced that victory that they didn't experience. Verses 22 to 26 now. It says, and the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel and the Lord was with them. So the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. The name of the city was formerly Luz. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, please show us the entrance to the city and we will show you mercy. So he showed them the entrance to the city and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and he built the city and he called his name Luz, which is its name to this day. So they mess up again. The two tribes of Joseph, they go into this area to conquest, to have a conquest in Bethel. And they come across a guy coming out of the city. They say, hey, tell us how to get in the city. If you tell us how to get in, we'll show mercy to you. And the guy tells them how to get in and they let him and his whole family go. Should they have done that? So imagine this, right? The assignment was to go wipe out the land of uh, Luz. And they let this guy go and they go wipe it out. But this guy goes up the hill. And restarts the city and names it Luz. So later on, they're like, hey, that, I thought we wiped out the city. No, him and his family, they repopulate and everything. Started all over again. And here's what that is like. It's, it's like there could be areas of sin, compromise, whatever it may be in our life. Things that God said, wipe it out. But we don't wipe it out. We just scoot it aside. I'm just going to put it away for a while. Just put it away. I didn't kill it. Not destroying it completely, but I'm putting it away but it's still there and it can show up whenever it wants to because you didn't shut it down you didn't completely destroy it you didn't wipe it out when God told you to we're all different my issues my challenges the areas that my flesh battles in are probably different from yours but there are definitely things that God has spoken to me and said never again that no more of your life don't, don't put it away. Don't keep the paraphernalia. That, you can do no more of that for the rest. Don't set yourself up for it. Don't participate in it. Don't go where it's going on at. That's out of your life. 
done. And for me, that's going to be part of walking by faith and saying that's for, for the life God called me to live. That's out of my life. But if I choose some of those things that, well, you know, it's, 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 I mean, I'm not partaking of it anymore, but I can hang out around it. You know, I'm, I'm going to keep it around. I have some at home for my friends, you know. Um, for me, one of those things is alcohol. Alcohol for me was a serious addiction and vice. And the enemy had me by it. And the Lord delivered me from it. But in delivering me, one of the, the words I got from the Lord was don't ever touch it again. That I freed you from it. Now, now you're free to never touch it again. That's the part of Christian liberty that people don't want to look at. There's a liberty in never having, because I used to have to touch it. God said, now you're free to never have to touch it again. So don't go mess with it. If there's nothing for you in it. That's for me. That's a word from the Lord. I can't mess with it. I don't touch it. I don't do a wedding if they're saying, oh, we're going to use real. No, y'all got to use apple cider. Get the apple cider. Martinelli's is my favorite. You know, um, that's we pop bottles of Martinelli's or whatever. But for me, right, I, I'm not going to mess with it. That's something I feel like if I compromise, it, it could take me over. And so can I have it? At, no, you can't drink it. If I can't drink, you can't drink at my house. Can somebody had a funeral for my mother and family members came from all over the place and they came to my house afterwards. Hey, man, do you mind? Uh, you know, I know you're passionate on me. You, no, I mind. I do mind. I do mind. Y'all can wait. You know, the kids are running around. Y'all can get you. You got to drive them home after you leave. No, you can't drink at my house. Don't drink outside. Don't bring a paper bag. Don't do it in the car and come into my house. Go all the way to your house and then do it. Take your kids home first, too. Um, and, you know, everybody didn't agree with that, but I was good with that. You know, <laughs> I'm not. I don't I just can't have it. I want it in my house. I want my kids to see it. You know, none of that. So you're you. I'm me. What are the things that God has said? Man, wipe that out. Don't leave room for it. You know, it could be a lot of different things. You know, I've shared with you guys before with regard to fleshing out with people. The Lord's like, you can't argue with men. Can't do verbal altercation with me. You can't because you flesh out. So whenever I see a, a verbal thing with a man going, God's like, then there's a point where I just stop. Don't say nothing else. Walk away. Leave. You can't afford to have a verbal. I can't. Some guys can argue and then walk away huffing and puffing. I can't. If I'm arguing, that's that's a, my flesh is at a 10. If I'm screaming at you, I could smack you, sock you, choke you, stomp you like they're all one and the same. It's just a matter of it's a matter of proximity to me. So if I'm yelling, I'm at a 10 already. I'm, I'm already fleshed out. So God's like, so you can't ever yell at a man. And so I don't yell. I don't yell at women either. But I never want to. I just if men start yelling. Anybody here that's ever seen it happen around me, I, I go the other way, right? Because I'm only in control until my mouth, once my mouth goes, I'm gone. So for me, that's a rule. That's not a rule for everybody, but it's a rule for me. God, if you're going to be the man I want you to be, pastor can't be a striker. You can't be out there socking folks in the mouth and then saying, I'll be here Sunday saying, y'all, I'm sorry, I messed up. <laughs> pastor Clint's going to be taking over a while, being counseling, <laughs> pray for your pastor. I, I, I can't do that, you know? So... We all have our stuff. Amen. And uh, we want to be vigilant about it. Uh, we don't want to treat these things as small. God says, I, I want I wanted you to wipe them all the way out. And they let the enemy hang out with them. The enemies are, are now cohabiting with the enemy. Even if it doesn't take them out, their kids are going to grow up and they're going to be surrounded by non-believers. They're going to be surrounded by pagans. They're going to be surrounded by people that worship other gods and their kids are going to be tempted and lured away continuously. That's going to be part of what happens. And so. I said this in an earlier study in Joshua, and then I, I would come back to it, is many times our victories are for us first. But for all of us that have offspring and those coming behind us, some of us are getting victories for our kids. Some of you are going to be the family members that 
You raised the first generation of kids in your family that don't grow up where drugs, alcohol is commonplace in your house. Some of us are going to be the first people to set it up where our families, where our kids grow up in a house where mom and dad stay together. Where by the time your kids have kids, grandma, grandma and grandpa live in the same house together. Some of us are going to be the first ones to provide that for our families, for our kids. Take that to heart. My victories are not just for me. Some of my victories, are they're, they're mine by God's grace, but some of my victories are for my kids. There's some victories that we're winning and we're overcoming that it's for Harmony and BJ and for Billy and for my kids. It's for all of us. It passes down just like failures pass down. Some of us got wrapped up in some of the things we got wrapped up in because it got passed down. It's, it's how we saw people behaving. It's how we saw people handling and coping with stress and challenges and whatnot. And it, it passed right on down. And just like the junk passes down, faith passes down too. If you be a man or woman that live a life of faith and your kids see that mom and dad prayed and the Lord answered, the Lord showed up. Your faith that's being lived out, rather than fussing and arguing and stuff, you're praying, they're going to learn that. They're going to, you know what, when I'm away at school and, and stuff goes crazy and everything's and I don't know what to do, I'm going to fall on my face. That's what I saw my parents do. And God always answered. God always showed up some kind of way. We can leave that behind for our kids. We need it for us right now. We're not doing it just to pass it down. But it's pretty awesome to have passed that down as well. Moving on now, look at verse 27. I guess I'll precursor this. From 27 all the way to 36, um, we're going to see in diff- different variations of who they didn't drive out. Uh, verse 27, however, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages or Tanakh and its villages or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages or the inhabitants of Labim and its villages or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages for, notice this, for the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. We're going to see that one more time in verse 35. And this is what I wrote down in my notes. They didn't drive them out. It says because the enemy was determined, right? And this is what I wrote. The enemy was more determined to stay than they were to put them out, right? We need to know this about our enemy. Their, the enemy is relentless. He could be determined. I'm determined to get you in this area. And that's why in some areas we keep getting smacked. Why does this keep happening? I keep getting hit in the same area. The enemy is determined at times to not let ground go. Here it says the enemy was determined to stay. And the enemy in this case was more determined to stay than they were determined to put him out. Because if they would have kept pushing to put him out, God would have done it. And so here's the lesson for you and me. Don't let the enemy more be, be more determined to beat you than you are to beat him. Don't let the enemy be more determined than you. Right? We have everything we need. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. You got greater than God lives in you. You already are victorious over the enemy if you'll fight. Don't let the enemy be more determined. Don't let the enemy be willing to fight harder and longer and, and go, go stronger. What does that mean for us in the spiritual battle department? It means you can't quit. It means you can't have times you fold in. It means there can't be times in the midst of spiritual battle where you just say, I can't anymore. You, you have to. You can't not. You can't fall back. You can't quit. You know, I say this all the time with regard to the armor of God. The armor of God only covers the soldier that's going forward. There's a helmet of salvation. There's the breastplate. There's the, the shield of faith. There's the, the sword of the spirit, the belt of truth, the feet shod. Those feet are like cleats with spikes so the person could, could have footing going forward. But, you know, there's nothing on the backside. There's nothing on the backside because you're not supposed to turn tail. You're not supposed to run. We're supposed to push forward. It's when we're moving in that direction forward that everything we need is there. 
That's where the victory is. That's where God is going to be working. That's where God is going to be moving. That's where we're going to be protected. We're going to be moving forward, but there's a shield to, to soak up the fiery dark. There's a breastplate covering all the internal organs to, to withstand to withstand the enemy. God expects us to be moving forward. So don't, don't stop. Don't quit. We're so glad you joined us today on A Transforming Word where Pastor Bill has been working his way through the eventful book of Judges. In this book, you hear about men and women of valor and courage who were willing to risk their lives but put their faith in God to the test. Gideon is just one that comes to mind as he asked God to show him what he should do, and God showed up mightily. God delights in seeing your faith go big. Do you believe God for big things? Or do you sink into believing that it's too difficult for God? God just waiting to see you ask and trust Him for things in faith. Maybe you'll have a faith story that equals some of these people in the book of Judges. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m., and a midweek service on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. You can also find us online at calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. Under the Teaching tab, you'll find links to our messages. While you're at the website, why not download the mobile app? You'll get access to all our messages so you can have them on the go. If you haven't found what you're looking for on our website, Feel free to call us at 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. Our time with you is up for today. But thanks for listening. We look forward to next time as we hear a transforming word.